0: just understand like you're a work in progress we're all a work in progress one bad weekend doesn't define you at all it should teach you something and then we move on that was something that my dad really instilled was like we're not going to linger on this thing we're going to learn from this and we're going to move on Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of day it is that you are listening to When the Cleats Come Off. I'm honored to have you here. Welcome to the show. I'm very excited for this episode. I may may have written all of these notes at 3 a.m. because I was just excited to bring this to you, but recently my dad celebrated his birthday and I thought it would be kind of fun to give you a list of some of the most important lessons that he taught me. Some of them are brand new. Some of them are old. And no matter what, they all made me a better person and a better player. So for his birthday, he did some bourbon tasting and touring, watched my youngest sister play. And now his older daughter gets to talk about him on her podcast. All good things, dad. All good things. He's been on the podcast before in a two-parter. Because we kind of just riffed on my softball journey, his softball journey with me, being the firstborn, my travel softball coach for a minute, um, a long minute, and you know how he and my mom parented my two sisters and I. Um, it was a it was a great two parter. If you haven't listened, I'll put it in the show notes for you to listen later. Um, but he was a fan favorite. People have been begging to get him back on the show, and I promise, I promise he'll be back again soon. So let's dive into 12 valuable lessons that I have learned from my dad. The first one is pretty simple. Preparation will develop confidence. Now, my dad and I, we didn't talk about confidence all the time. It is now a buzzword across, let's just say the industry of sports. But when I look back on it, What gave me confidence was the amount and immense preparation that my dad and I put into my own game. And I've said this before, but he and I, if I had a rough game, would almost always, we'd find a time to practice within that night, like right away, so that I could actually walk away being able to sleep better that night based on the fact that we worked on this thing. I feel better about it. Like, hey, if it was my backhand, okay, we are spending time on the backhand after this game or this bad practice. We're just going to work on it. We're going to work on it, work on it, work on it until you start looking good at it and then we'll leave. And when I look back on the times where I felt most confident was the fact that I wasn't lingering in self-doubt very long because I didn't have time to. We got straight to work on the thing that I was feeling less confident in. And that was one of the most valuable lessons my dad ever taught me. All right. Number two says you won't be perfect, but we're going to work to get as close to perfect as we possibly can. I used to go to a hitting coach and she was amazing. We drove two hours to go see her two hours home and my dad wasn't going to waste that time or money. He was going to make sure that throughout the week we were perfecting or working on perfecting the drills that I was given. So if it was a T-drill, we were going to hammer that drill all week so that when I went back the following week, I felt really good about this drill. And then we can actually elevate my training from there. So when it came down to it, no, I was never perfect, but the goal was to be as close to perfect as possible. And even Dot Richardson, she came on the podcast and said, perfectionism is pursuit of perfection. So working to be perfect at something is just like what my dad taught me. It's let's get as close to perfect as we can. We're never going to get there, but if we can get pretty close, we're going to find ourselves winning more. We're going to find ourselves more successful. We're going to find ourselves enjoying this so much more because when you are really good at something, you're winning more. And what's what's better than that? So my da- ta- my dad taught me a lot on how to prepare. And I'm thinking about this. And dad, if you're listening, shoot me a text after this. But I think my dad was an assistant coach for me growing up and he became a head coach for my sister's travel team eventually. But he was really, really good at putting together practices. He was actually my basketball coach. So if I refer back to this, he was my head coach in basketball and he got the most out of us. And yes, this was middle school, but I I truly think we were a very, very good team because my dad knew how to put together practices. Like we worked our tails off. We felt so tired after practices, but we all looked forward to going to practice. We worked so hard, but he kept it fun. So dad, if you want to do an episode on how to put together a good practice, I think, I think that would be something that the show could definitely benefit from, but yes, get as close to perfect as possible. That is, that is our goal in no matter what we do. So thanks dad for teaching me that. All right. Number three, my dad might yell at me for this one, but if you're going to go, all in for something like go all in like don't just decide to do it and just exist if you're going to go in go all in and i find this very admirable because in recent years my dad has picked up some hobbies and they're they're pretty unique hobbies so cycling was the first one and when i tell you he went all in like he got the best bike he got the best training system in order to cycle from home because we live in a cold state And he invested in so much in cycling and he was all in like he was cycling every single day for hours and hours and hours. And it was, it was admirable. It was amazing. He had an injury you know, after that. And so cycling wasn't happening as much. And recently he just picked up kayaking and I'm telling you, he went all in, like he got the big kayak. He got the one for him. He's six, six. He needed a special one. He got the thing for the car. Like he went all in to make sure That if he's gonna pick up kayaking, he's gonna be the best that he can be at kayaking. And at first, my sisters and I would chuckle because we're like, all right, dad's got a new hobby. But, you know, I think it is kind of awesome that he's picking up these new challenges that, like, he didn't know anything about. It kind of reminded me of, like, my journey through softball. We didn't really know a whole lot about it at the very beginning, other than baseball. He did play that. But it it was, it kind of reminded me of that. Like, He doesn't know exactly what he's doing, but he's going to research. He's going to look up the YouTube videos. He's going to watch the TikToks. He's going to learn how to be the best that he can at this thing. And I love it. He's always trying new things. It's so admirable. I want to be just like him. You can say he's multi-passionate, but I just love that he keeps finding new hobbies to go all in on. And it keeps life exciting and fun for him and mom. So what I learned was like, don't be afraid to try new things. And if you do it and you like it, go all in. That just kind of reminds me of like getting creative with drills. So as a hitting coach, you know, I've been taught many unique drills. I teach many unique drills and he he and I always work together on like, Hey, let's find the drills that work best for your swing. And we're going to try weird things. We're going to try a certain drill. And if you like it, we'll stick with it. But if you don't, let's try something else. But like that kind of goes along with, you know, this find a thing and stick to it. But the key is, the key is, is never stop doing something. Um, never, never stop pursuing greatness for never stop going for something that you want or that lights your heart on fire. So dad, don't get mad at me for bringing up your hobbies, but I find them pretty admirable. All right. Number four is probably one of the most important. And I've shared pieces of this on the podcast before, but stats over time tell you more than a weekend of stats does. So my dad literally never told me what my stats were. Like if I hit 600 on the weekend, 800, I, I did not know. I either left the weekend feeling like, wow, I was hitting the ball hard or I wasn't. And, and that's something that he instilled in me at a very, very young age. So what I loved about this is that I never tried to reach a number. But in pursuit of not trying to reach a number and just feeling good and be feeling confident at the plate, my numbers kind of even themselves out. So like on years where I hit really well, I wasn't trying to get to a number. I was just focusing on myself and getting my job done. But on the years where maybe my numbers weren't too great, I remember going back and saying, okay, I was probably trying too hard to go four for four on the day instead of, hey, let's let's get my teammate in. Let's, let's find a way to move the runner. Let's find a way to win those numbers will even themselves out when you're not in pursuit of a number. So he never told me what my stats were, like ever. And I think that was something that made me a better hitter was the fact that I wasn't trying to reach a number. It was just, hey, show up, do your thing. Now, my dad, again, he always knew the numbers. So if it wasn't a great weekend, (laughs) we were gonna hammer those things that maybe didn't go great on the weekend. And we always did that. We always looked at my week and I said, you know, I, I struggled hitting the high pitch. Then we were going to go hammer that this week, but just understand like you're a work in progress, we're all a work in progress. One bad weekend doesn't define you at all. It should teach you something. And then we move on. That was something that my dad really instilled was like, we're not going to linger on this thing. We're going to go, if it wasn't great, we're going to go hammer this thing kind of back to number one preparation equals confidence. But we're going to learn from this and we're going to move on. We're not going to linger here. We are going to, you know, take it and and show up the next day and say, this is going to be better. And that was something that over time I didn't really realize was happening. But now that I'm a hitting coach and the, so many people are telling everybody their stats, I'm like, you shouldn't even know your stats because a college coach, and I think Kat Osterman also talked about this on the podcast. They're not going to say, okay, you, you hit 600 at the boobash tournament this weekend. Oh my gosh, we need this girl. No. Like college coaches are going to see you fail. Like they want to go see you fail and see how you how you react to it. They really don't care if you hit 600. Now, the thing is, over time, like I was saying, your stats are going to be better if you're not in pursuit of a number. So, thank you, dad, for never telling me what my stats were. And when I got in my head in college about my stats, you grounded me and said, "I don't care what your stats are. How do you feel on the box?" Because <laughs> at the end of the day, that's all that matters. So, That is number four. Now, a short side note on stats. Like I said, my dad always knew what my stats were. And he would freak out if he knew that there was a journal that literally could house all of the stats of my team and, of course, myself, because he always had a journal on him and was writing things down. And so my friends at Always Grind, they have a coach's notebook. They actually have two of them in a large and a smaller size. Um, and it's prompted sections for pitchers, defense, offense, your lineup, the other team's lineup, a place to track the game. And, you know, as my dad was our assistant for my travel team, I think he would have absolutely loved the pocketbook and made it his best friend because it, it it's very it's a small notebook, but it's got places to write down notes from the game, things that he sees. Because I know that, you know, our training that following week, my dad and I, it's going to be based on, you know, what was going on in the game. So if he saw something that he know he knows I can work on, he wants to be able to jot it down. If you're anything like me, I forget things so fast. So I would be the same way <laughs> if I was an assistant. Um, I'd probably want something small. But if you're a head coach, that larger notebook might be your best friend. And literally, I check this. As I'm recording this, it looks like they're having a sale on both the pocketbook, the smaller book, and the larger game logs where you can track more of your opponents like the lineup, bullpen management and just have more space to write on it. You probably already know I'm a huge fan of these. And you know, if I was honestly coaching travel ball, high school, even little league or rec league right now, I would have one of these in my hands. So, if you are interested, um, I put the link in the show notes, but always grind365.com I linked to the coaches pocketbooks for sure and use my code Ashley at checkout. You can get a little, another 10% off, but they are literally on sale right now. So at least go check it out. They literally show you what's in the pocketbook. So you don't just not know what's inside. It has pages for that. Um, and they also have some freebies and PDFs that you can download too. So go check it out. And I'm not kidding you. <laughs> my dad, if he was still coaching the game of softball, he would have probably 10 of these already because of how many notes he takes. And I just want to throw this out there. They don't pay me to talk about them in my podcast. I do get like a tiny little commission when you use my code, but it's it's honestly, it, it's, not, it's not paying the bills. But I tell you about this because I only talk about the products that I believe in wholeheartedly. And this is one of those. And for you coaches out there, yes, there's a bunch of, you know, stuff for catchers, pitchers, game logs, cage VP notebooks, and all this stuff for student athletes, like the student athlete planner as well. But I know a lot of coaches are, you know, you guys learn a lot from my dad and you're probably here to listen to how my dad, you know, was a great coach because he was journaling, writing things down in a notebook is one of those ways. He was great. So if you want one of these, it's prompted, just at least go check it out. See if it's for you. If not, that's okay. You can use your notebook the way you always use it. but you know, for someone who has trouble focusing on one thing at a time, I would definitely need a prompted notebook. So you can get 10% off by using my code Ashley B. Um, the link is in the show notes to always grind 365.com and go, just go check it out. Just go check it out. Maybe you pause this, go check it out and come back, or you just check it out at the end, but they're one of my favorite products in the entire world. And I would be remiss to not talk about it. Okay. We've made it to number five. I recently learned this one, but this is something that I was definitely taught when I was younger. Teamwork is truly built outside the white lines. So I don't know if you guys know this, but this podcast called When the Cleats Come Off, it's basically to give you tips on what to do outside of the white lines, outside of the game itself. How are you getting better physically and mentally outside of the white lines? So when it comes down to teamwork, yes, you build a lot of trust on the field, but Doing hard things together in practice is is really how you become a better team. In college, I think we bonded most when we were doing hard things together, when we were running our 300-yard shuttles back to back to back. We had to run three of them. Those are the hardest days of our lives. Like, I was just with a bunch of teammates recently at Purdue, and we all said the same thing. We don't miss those. But at the end of the day, they did make us closer. But it's those things. It's dinner after a long game. It's hanging out during a rain delay with the team, you know, team sleepovers at a teammate's house if they live nearby. That stuff is what speaks volumes. And we had a really close travel ball team. And this was the team, my first team, the one where my dad was an assistant. And I believe it was the relationship that my dad had with our head coach, Mike, and the amount of love and respect that they had for the parents that really was able to make us so close as a team, because if you just have buy-in within the players and then you have parents that are, you know, gossiping, saying bad things behind, you know, the coach's back, it's just not a good collaborative environment. It's not, you're not going to win. But we had a team where like the players loved each other the parents loved each other and it wasn't like hugs and sunshine and rainbows all the time but we they respected each other that was i think why we won so much we were a really great team we won versus teams we weren't supposed to win against we got invited to showcases in in Colorado and Florida like those are things that like a lot of travel ball teams are trying to get to that level and that's how we found it so I truly think that it was, you know, my dad setting the example of like how to respect a colleague, AKA our head coach and, you know, how to bring the parents together and like have them bond, but like in a way to where, you know, at the end of the day, if one, one parent's kid isn't starting, it was a civil conversation and everybody worked their way and was honest with each other. Like my dad was not afraid to tell a parent like, Hey, she's got to get better at this that's just how it is. My dad was really good at telling athletes and their parents like what they needed to hear. And I think there was no beating around the bush. And that's what made us so good. So dad, thanks for teaching me teamwork and how it was built outside the white lines. Cause I'm taking that with me forever. Um, if you're ever interested in like that team itself, I wrote an entire blog post about what that team taught me. Um, I have it in the show notes as well. Um, but the Fort Wayne fire girls, you have my heart forever and ever. All right. Number six, watch what the best do and watch them like a hawk. So I've shared this before. My dad and I, um, we used to sit on the couch and we used to watch the best of the best. So when I was a slapper, I think I moved when either I was 11 or 12, I moved from the right side to the left side. My dad was like, okay, who are the best lefty slappers right now? Who are triple threats? Caitlin Lowe and Natasha Watley were the top two. So We watched games that they were playing in. I couldn't tell you who won or lost the game. I can only tell you what those players did, what their first step looked like, what their slap looked like, how they were stealing bases, which side of the base were they sliding on. Like I was taught how to watch them play and because they're the two of the best in the world, I emulated my play off of their play because my dad said, we are going to learn from them. We're going to watch them like crazy. And that's what we did. And my mom probably thought we were absolutely nuts. But same thing, Mike Andrea was coming out with a bunch of YouTube videos in the 90s and early 2000s. And my dad and I would watch those like crazy. We would watch the drills on defense. We would watch hitting drills. We would, you know, Sue Inquist had drills with Natasha slapping. Like it was like all of this information was just starting to come to us. But my dad taught me, if you want it, go watch the best. Same thing with basketball. We would watch the best do what they do on the court. Um, You know, if I was an outside shooter, which I was, I also, I I was a few positions, but whatever position I was playing at the time, we would watch players like crazy. I learned that from my dad. And it was one of the biggest lessons I ever learned. I still do this to this day. Number seven, this is a big dog. Stay humble. Why do you think I say it at the end of each episode? My dad taught me, always let other people talk about you. You keep your head down and you keep working. This is probably why I still sometimes struggle talking about myself and my products and telling you how great they are because I'm not used to talking about me. And I'd much rather have it this way than bragging about myself all the time because you know it's not a good luck when you do. So my dad taught me how to stay humble and how to just keep your head down and keep working hard. It also, it hits a lot deeper when he brags about me now or where's my company's logo in public? And I don't ask him to like, you can tell, and I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent, but you can tell he's super proud of the three of us girls that he has. We've all been, we're all D1 athletes. We all have worked so hard to get really good at our craft. So even though my dad wasn't one to always say he was proud of us, he did a really good job of showing us and being that example for us. And He always showed up for us. He put in the time with us. He invested, he and my mom invested a lot of time and money into us being great. And at the end of the day, I didn't learn this probably till I was 25, but that speaks volumes. And that humility aspect, it all starts from the top. He was a very humble dad, you know, but if we did something great, he was going to tell people about it. He's very proud of us. But we had to just keep our head down and keep working. And I think at the end of the day, this is something I still try to instill into my own life. Stay humble, work hard, put your head down, get the job done. Like you're here to, I don't want to say win, but like you're here to do your job. And if you're too, you know, adamant on telling people how good you are, then you're taking away time from becoming great. So thanks, dad. That's a big one. That's a big one. Now, number eight might sound a little controversial, but at the end of the day, I'm I'm excited that this is something that my dad taught me um, very young. Is he he always he never like said this out loud, but you could definitely tell, like, my dad is not my friend, he's my dad. And again, this is controversial because everybody wants to be their kid's friend. And it's 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 a fine line because you love your child more than anything in the world. Now I know this, I'm a mom. And Of course, my dad and I, we had so much fun. Like, I had so much fun playing the game. I had so much fun practicing with my dad. But, like, there was another side of me that was still kind of scared of him. Like, if I did something bad, I knew I was going to, like, hear about it. So, of course, we were goofballs. But at the end of the day, my dad always knew what was best for me. And I had so much respect. I still have so much respect for my dad. If he's going to call me out for something, I'm going to listen. He's here to tell me what I need to hear. And it kind of goes along with the coaching aspect. But like, if he's always just telling me what I want to hear, I'm not getting better. I'm I'm going to be a turd. <laughs> okay. So I just had to understand like, he's older than me. He's smarter than me. He, his job is to keep me safe, but also keep me in check. I wasn't a perfect kid. So yes, there were times I needed to be disciplined by being grounded for talking back or breaking rules. I didn't love it at the time. It would have been so much easier and nicer if he just held my hand and said, you're going to be okay when, hey, I did something wrong. But now that I'm older with with a baby, who you can probably hear cooing in the background, this is something that I'm going to carry with me to my family. And yes, now that I'm older, I'm 30 now, like my dad and I are more friends now than we ever have been because I've experienced more in life. And he's probably like, hey, you can drink bourbon now. Like, let's hang out. Like, it's... it's it's more of a friendly atmosphere now, but he's still my dad. There t- he calls me out for things that I do still. He's still my first phone call, though. When when uh, I would say probably second phone call now that I'm married and I have a husband. But he's still one of my first phone calls, you know, when things go great, when things go bad. But he's always dad first. And, I, and I'm really grateful for that. Even on the hard days, even on the days I wish he wasn't so hard on me, it, it was worth it. So thanks, dad, for... Not just trying to be my best friend, but also be my dad. I needed that. And I still need that. All right, number nine. It kind of always, it it goes back to the humble thing a little bit. But number nine is there's always something I could have done better. Now, this is like a double-edged sword because if you're always looking for ways to get better, sometimes we don't celebrate the good things. We celebrated the good things. We went out for ice cream after a good win. Like, we talked about the great. But we weren't gonna go a day without talking about something that didn't go great. And as you know, in the game of softball, very rarely do you do all things great. <laughs> like there's always something you could have done better. You probably could have run through first faster. You could have had a better jump on your steel. You could have, um, you know, dove for the ball that you didn't dive for. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you know, when I when I used to think that was the worst was sitting in the car and listening to things I could have done better, it always made me hungry. It made me hungry for more. It made me hungry for greatness. Now, I have shared this before, too. There were times where I was just like, you know, I'd get in the car and start crying because I knew I sucked. But I wish I would have actually just been like, Dad, here are the things I sucked at. And I would have led the conversation. But, you know, he, he kept me humble. He Whether it was a good game, not so good game, we always talked about the things that could have been better. And we didn't avoid it. But I'm glad we didn't because, again— It made me eager to see how that could make me better. It made me eager to have even better games. And again, that kind of goes back to getting as close to perfect as possible. But it was something that, again, at the time, I was just like, man, I don't want to hear this, but I needed to hear it. So thanks, dad. All right. Number 10. I'm so glad my dad taught me this. It is my journey in this game. It is my journey in this life. And it's not his He was never that parent that lived through me. He always let me be in the driver's seat. Yes, there were things that he learned on his journey as a college basketball player that he made sure I was going to learn. Again, like, don't make the same mistakes he did, right? He was going to teach me those. But I knew he absolutely wanted what was best for me. He did whatever he could to help me succeed, Um, but constantly reminded me that the ball was in my court. Yes, he was a bit of encouragement when I needed it, but if I wanted it, I was going to have to do the work. I was going to. It's not his journey. It's mine. He was going to help me become the best that I possibly could be, whether that was basketball, volleyball, softball, but it only could happen because I wanted to be great at it. He never made me do something I didn't want to do. Now, when there were times where I was like, oh, I'd rather watch TV. I almost said Netflix. It wasn't a thing back then. But when I want to watch TV, when I want to do these things and you know be lazy, we had our lazy days. Don't get me wrong. But you know, when there were times where you know some of our most pressing games were coming up, he was like, "You gonna go work?" And there were days where I didn't want to. But he kept me accountable. He kept me on the path that I wanted to be on. But when I wanted something, he made sure that. He held me accountable to those things. But again, it was my journey, not his. He didn't tell me what the destination was going to be. I came up with it. He helped guide me there. So thanks, Dad, for that. Number 11, no one that we knew was going to work harder than us. (laughs) No excuses. Put in the work. (laughs) So my dad, he eventually became the athletic director at my old grade school. And so... We are also really close with the previous one. So he had a key to the to the gym at my middle school and grade school. And uh, it was like our playground. Like when he, my dad knew that the whole schedule, he knew when people were going to be in the gym and not. So in basketball season, when nobody was in the gym, after dinner, late night, it's already dark. Welcome to the time change. We would be in the gym. All of us, all three of us, sometimes just me. But we would hammer our free throws, shooting, making sure we have, like, good spin on the ball. Like, we took our crafts seriously. When I was a pitcher, we would line up on one of the basketball lines in the gym, and I would throw to him on the court. Now, that was also some scary times because I remember hitting my dad in the back of the head once. Don't don't love that. But for, <laughs> for the most part, this was one of the reasons why we were great. Like, we found and made time to work on our stuff. Like it, sometimes it was 9 p.m. before we went to the gym, but that was the only time we had to work on our stuff this week. And, you know, people probably, I actually know this, people called us absolutely insane, but we didn't care. We didn't care. We are three college athletes in this family. Oh, technically four. My dad was a college athlete as well, but we were the athletes and we made it to where we wanted to go because of this this core element lesson that my dad taught us. No one was going to outwork us. No one. That gym was our playground. We we had so much fun. That, that was some of my favorite times practicing. was like, hey, what do we need to work on? We're going to hammer this today. And like, yeah, some of those times were really tough, but those are the moments with my family in that gym I'm going to remember for a lifetime. And that led to my training being a little bit steeper, a little bit, um, you know, more advanced growing up. But it was those moments, those key moments in middle school that kind of like brought out this competitive fire in me. And there were even times that we would bring teammates with us and we would, and we would um, you know, have family friends that would come in with us and like put in the work with us. And it was like, it just felt right. It just felt like we were in the right place and doing the right thing. And it was way more fun than binge binge watching something on TV, (sighs) the good times. All right, number 12, my last point, my last lesson that my dad taught me is my dad was very hard on me. And I learned this until when I was 25, I totally learned this. I learned why he was hard on me because he always knew that there was more in me. He was hard on me because he knew I have more in me. So if you're a kid in my shoes, and your parents are a little hard on you. It's because they love you. It's because they know there's more in you. It's because they see what's best for you before you see what's best for you sometimes. And if you're a parent or a coach listening, trust me, your kid's going to figure it out. Don't force them to figure it out. Again, I was 25. I stopped playing the game at 24. (laughs) It took me until I was done playing to understand this. But even though my dad was very, very hard on me, It was because he loved me and he wanted what was best for me and he knew it was best for me. And sometimes again, going back to it, he told me what I needed to hear, not what I wanted to hear. And I think that's what drove me the hardest. So dad, I've said this to your face, but I'm going to say it again. Thank you for being extremely hard on me at times. Cause at the time I didn't know I needed it, but I did dad. He was my first true hero, truly. I'm not just saying this. And these are a lot of the reasons that I look back on as to why. Do you guys see why I was excited to record this episode? Thinking about all these things brought so much nostalgia, and I can't wait for him to teach me more lessons. Like, that's the thing about life is as long as he's here, I'm going to be learning things from you. So, Dad, thanks for setting the ultimate example. He's still my first phone call. I guess technically second when I'm in a pickle or something goes wrong. I literally this is embarrassing, but I threw my back out a couple weeks ago and it's happened to my dad before and I called him that day. I was like, "Hey dad, do you have any stretches uh for me to do?" And man, he was like, "Really? You you threw your back out?" I'm like, "I did." And, you know, he he delivered. He sent me all the TikToks, all the advice. Told me I need to strengthen my core, which I do. But he's he's always going to tell me what I need to hear. At the end of the day, dad, I love you. Happy birthday. If you're listening, I hope you are. Also, my mom's birthday is coming up soon. And I think I'm going to do an entire episode about what she has taught me, valuable lessons, because they're different. Some are the same, but a lot of them are different. And I think that would be really fun because both my parents were born in November. I'm excited for this. But feel free to wish him a big happy birthday on my social posts about this episode. He would secretly love that, but would never tell you. And I can't wait to get him back on the show soon. Dad, are you ready? Let's do it. If you haven't already and are enjoying When the Cleats Come Off, the easiest way to support this podcast is by subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you're listening to right now. You'll also be the very first to be notified when my next episode drops when you do. The second easiest way to support the podcast is by sharing this with a friend, whether that's sending him a text, sharing on social, or just word of mouth. I greatly, greatly appreciate you for sharing some of my favorite work with your tribe. Follow me on social for some of the best quotes, tips, and clips from each episode. And you can find all my social media platforms in the show notes. I even have a new place for you podcast listeners to hang out on Facebook, where you can search keywords of past episodes and find them, especially topics that you're interested in. Occasionally tell me what you want to see in some future episodes, because I love asking you guys what you want to hear and more. Just type in When the Cleats Come Off on Facebook and you should find our community there or just check in the show notes for the link. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of When the Cleats Come Off and never forget to stay awkward, stay humble and keep smiling. I'll see you guys next week.